Okay, so welcome to the Be Heard sessions. Uh, we were really saying, how do we assist you in terms of how you show up? Um, from a communication point of view, from a leader point of view, uh, for those of you who don't know, and there shouldn't really be anybody in the session at the moment who doesn't know me, but my name is Zoya Mabuto Mogoditwa, and I'm going to be working with you for the next 90 or so minutes. In terms of today's session, today is session three, so the third of our eight-week uh, series. And in today's session, uh, we're going to build on what we covered in the previous session, but also introduce something new. And for today's session, we're going to be covering structure. So really looking at how we can put together the kind of presentations that are heard, one, because they're easy to follow, two, because they're easy to understand, three, because they're memorable. So we're really going to look at structure and in particular, sort of zooming in on the things that we must definitely do, but also looking or, or, or really, you know, being conscious of the things that take away from the presentations that we deliver. I had promised last week that we're going to look at something called the Minto Pyramid Principle. This is a technique that's very popular uh, with management consultants who often have to deliver presentations. And so we're going to zoom in on how do we deliver or how do we use the Minto Pyramid Principle as a structure to assist us to get to the point to get to the crux of the matter immediately um, so that we can be engaging in our presentations. I do want to remind you that this is about you um, and the experiences that you're having. So whilst I can definitely uh, share some of the skills and give you that technical know-how, it becomes important that by way of your contributions, you're able to really make it about the issues that confront you, the challenges, the struggles that you're having so that we can assist to resolve some of those. Okay, so I am going to pick up on where I left off last week, and this is also in the interest of allowing those who are going to join us later to not miss the powerful structure conversation. And I want to return to this concept that we're speaking about last week, you know, around being influential, around being the kind of person who really does, uh, you know, make an impact. And I spoke to this concept of how when we talk traditional leadership, for the most part, we're talking about somebody who occupies a particular role, but more and more in a leadership conversation, we're seeing shifts, you know, to say leadership doesn't have to have a title, that there is this concept of leadership without authority. And so how do we become influential and how do we do that using the presentations that we share? And you will remember that last week I shared with you um, the four components of persuasion. Um, and I said to you, you know, you've got to establish that credibility. You've got to frame for common ground in your presentations. I said the third thing was you've got to provide the evidence to substantiate the points that you're bringing through. And of course, I said that final one was, why are you invested in this in the first place? Um, how do you build that emotional connection? So you need to be emotionally connected um, as well. And so I want to build on this concept a little bit. I said to warm welcome to you. We're just recapping on last week. Uh, we haven't started with today's session um, in terms of the content for today's session. Okay, so I want to build on that a little bit as an idea before I move over into the structure. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of things, and, and I want to engage you on this one, and maybe to ask or to kick off the session by saying to you, you know, what comes to mind or what do you understand by the word power? When you hear the word power, what comes to mind? Okay, so Lazola says presence. When I think power, I think presence. Okay, so here's an interesting one. So power, this ability to influence. Mutari is saying influence, responsibility. So let's build on this idea that there is a connection between power and influence. So if I asked you the question, what then comes to mind if you hear the word influence? Okay, so absolutely getting buy-in, getting someone to buy, ability to convince or change views. Aha, uh -huh. loving these contributions that are coming through. So I want to kickstart the session then by maybe making a distinction between the two from a leadership point of view. When we talk about somebody who's in power, a, a person who for the most part sits in a particular position, um, has a particular title even, I'll take it that far. It seems to reason that this person has the ability to make and to enforce decisions. 
Okay, so they have power. When we're talking about power from that perspective, uh, this is somebody who has a title, somebody who occupies a particular role. And so this is the person who can allocate resources. This is the person who can make and enforce decisions. When we bring it to this concept of influence, and particularly as I motivate for the fact that every single person in this room has the ability to influence, I'm saying here that this is a mechanism that we can use to attempt to change behavior or attitudes, but there's no apparent exertion of force. And so the difference here is that when I am sitting in a position of power, I can exert some of that force. My title says I can make the decision, I can enforce the decision. In influencing, we're saying that it's not about force at all. It's that ability to convince or to change views. So let's build on this. We spoke about those four components of persuasion. What are some of the things then that we can do as we continue to build on our influence? This is me connecting to what we did last week. Those who were not here last week, I guess you missed out. But for those who were here, this is building on some of what we covered there. And this is not, it's not my work. This is the work of a gentleman named Robert um, Cialdini. Um, and I will share, I will share the name um, on the chat group shortly. And he introduces us to this concept of six influence principles. And he says there's certain things that if they are in place can cause for us to become more influential um, in our respective spaces. I'm going to make linkages to how we then bring this to the presentations that we're delivering. So, so just a warning message ahead of me sharing these principles, okay? If, if you're going to attempt to use these principles only when you need them, in other words, only for myself, only when I need to use them, um, just be aware that they could backfire and potentially damage your credibility, right? So in sharing these principles with you, my hope is that you can start to embed them into your daily interactions. Allow this to be part and parcel of how I show up because I'm conscious that I'm a leader. I'm conscious about how I show up to everything in my life. And so I'm going to start to incorporate these into every aspect of my life versus to just lean on them as in when I think I strategically need to, to use them. And I think for me, the power will be then, uh, you know, the, the results at least we will see when you're able to use these principles in that way. So the first principle is the principle of liking. And colleagues, please go back to those four components of persuasion as we're speaking to this and make those connections. And in talking about liking, um, I'm going to, you know, posit a very, a very uh, simple example to say, I want you to imagine that you have been asked to work on a project with somebody. And this particular person who you have been asked to work on a project with, uh, you're very clear uh, you don't like. <laughs> so I want you to imagine a particular person who in your workplace or wherever uh, you don't like working with. So find or think about that person. You may have a history of having worked with them before. I want you to just think about that person. Now you are told that you have to work on a project with that person. Just give me a, a little bit of a sense of how you're feeling ahead of this project conversation that you now need to have with them because you've been told you need to work with this person. How are you feeling ahead of that conversation? Setu says, shoot me now. Setu, I know the feeling, right? It's dreadful. It says, Peter, ha, 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 it's disaster, says Lazola. Absolutely, colleagues. And in fact, we might move into that conversation feeling a little bit, uh, you know, defeated before it's even begun. And we step into that conversation for the most part, I think already uh, feeling nervous and anxious even, uh, feeling like we might have to defend ourselves or protect something, but it certainly is anxiety inducing. It's not a comfortable place to be. Now I want you to think about the opposite scenario, you know, of somebody who you do like, of somebody who you love or enjoy working with, um, and you're about to have a project conversation with them. Um, what is the shift or what is the change in feeling or in thinking um, as a result of that? Okay, so I'm energized. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Okay, so again, Malita reiterating what Peter has said about just feeling energized. I'm excited and ready to collaborate. So colleagues, here's the thing. When we talk about, you know, what these six principles of influence are liking is one of them. Why? Because people say yes to people they like. So whether you, you, you agree with this or not, the reality is that if I like, if I, if I have a, a disposition of like towards somebody, I'm going to say yes to that person, okay? And when we have people that, you know, we like, 
often there's, there's, it feels like there's a solid ground from which to build on. Now we bring it back to speaking. How important is likability in speaking? It is very important. And so if there's an opportunity for you to build rapport ahead of the time with people that you're going to be speaking to, engaging, addressing, take that opportunity and build that rapport. Build this concept of likability. It matters. And if you connect it to what we spoke about last week, remember I said, when you're putting together your presentation, part of it is to say, how do I find that common ground? When I'm going to put together a presentation for people, it's got to be a presentation that addresses their issues, their need. I'm going to take the time to understand what are the issues that affect this group of people? What are their interests? What are the things that they like? When I take the time to do that, I increase my likability because my audience has the perception of me that I've taken the effort and the time to better understand what their needs are. And so building likability is framing for common ground, one of the things you can do, really being observant as well, watching to see, you know, what is my audience like? What are the things that they like? Who are they? What is their story? And then, of course, another one is, um, you know, you can build likability by paying genuine praise. Now, I'm not saying that you need to suck up to. Please don't hear me wrong. Um, I'm talking about where praise is due. Being that person who can step in and acknowledge in a genuine way when somebody has done something right. And so really saying that we want to build that likability um, and there's a couple of things that we can do. Why? Because we know that it contributes to our ability to influence. And so maybe just to pose a couple of questions, you know, to say, are you somebody who currently applies this principle? Um, and if you do share with us, what are some of the things that you're doing to build likability? And if you're not, how might you apply it in the future? Remember that forewarning I issued at the very beginning, which was to say that if you're going to you know, use this only when it strategically serves you, it could backfire. How do you become the kind of person who offers genuine praise when people are doing great things? How do you become the kind of presenter who says, as I craft my presentations, I'm mindful of my audience, the people who I intend to serve, uh, the people who are going to be listening to this presentation, what's in it for them? And so I frame for common ground, all of these contributing to that liking. So just for you to reflect for yourself on are you currently applying this principle? If not, how might you apply it in the future? I want to move to the second one, which is this concept around social proof. Um, this, is, this is an interesting one. So social proof is the second one. And really this one speaks to this idea, you know, that people rely on social cues from others on how to think, on how to feel and act in situations. And we're not just saying any people here, but peers specifically. And so when information isn't clear, typically what we do as people is we look to others for guidance. And so if we're thinking about this, we link it to the importance of networks. Colleagues, what networks are you building? What networks are you putting in place? They talk about, you know, how, how it is important, and I've forgotten what, what the proper terminology or how they reference this, but they talk about the importance of that close circle of people. Who's in your circle of people? Because we know that social proof is also responsible for building some of that proof. So people relying on other people for social cues that impact how we think, feel, and act in many situations. So really calling to mind the network that you're then building. So let's think about this in an instance that's real and quite practical. Let's imagine that, uh, you know, you have a group of people that you're leading. Maybe it's a junior group, a group of interns that you might be leading, uh, you know, in your team. And you want to influence those interns, okay? Or you want to influence a particular team in your department. I'm saying that, you know, you want to get buy-in from one of them first. Because what's going to happen is that when their peers, their friends, the people who impact, you know, them, these are their peers, the people who, uh, you know, they look up to, the people who they take cues from, um, you know, see them, they're likely to follow them. So when the others you know, their teammates, their peers, see an employee like themselves taking action or following a new directive, what they do is they're more likely to follow suit. And we know that having that first person take action makes all the difference and unlocks this concept of social proof. So that's the second one. You know, who do I surround myself with? Who's in my network? 
and how do I use that? So how do you currently apply the principle of social proof? Um, and if you're not doing it, how might you apply it in the future? I'm gonna move to the third one. The third one is consistency. Um, and I think for me, this one is just, it's a given, right? If you think about, and, and for me, I'll reference my entrepreneurship journey. Um, entrepreneurship really tests your ability to be consistent about the thing you're putting out to the market. Um, and your growth is relative to how consistent you are, because the more consistent you are, the more credible uh, you come across, right? If you have somebody who says, today I'm selling tomatoes and tomorrow it's oranges and the next day um, it's grapes, um, we kind of go, okay, what's, what's happening here? And in fact, you know, that's still within a group, that's still fruits. So today I'm selling tomatoes, tomorrow um, I'm doing something else. The next day there's something else. We get lost and we get confused. So there's something to be said for consistency. This talks to your commitments. It's the power of your active commitments, your public commitments. What are you putting out there? Okay, how consistent are you in terms of what you're putting out there? So I say an active commitment means that, you know, something that is written down or something that we speak to about other people. So that's the one part. The second part is then making it public. Um, so, you know, others now must witness this commitment. And I think that adds a level of accountability on the statement that you're putting out there. And uh, we don't want to go back on our word. Imagine if I said we're going to have these Be Heard webinars. And then I'm a no-show and these don't take place. So once we put it public, once we put it into the public domain, um, there's a certain responsibility and accountability that comes with it. And then, of course, I'm going to move to the next one. And again, here asking you to think through, um, you know, the principle of consistency for yourself. Are you currently applying this principle? Uh, if not, how might you apply it in the future? And then we move to the fourth one. So this is the fourth principle. Um, you know, of building that influence or the six influence principles, as uh, Robert uh, Cialdini calls them. And he says, you know, the other one is scarcity. So you build influence through scarcity. Why? Because of the nature of the rule of demand and supply. So what's interesting here is that opportunities seem more valuable as they become less available. People value that which is scarce. Okay. And so here we're saying, how do we use the principle of scarcity to build our influence as well? Um, and here, you know, we think about ideas like, you know, make offers uh, limited time, limited supply, one time, um, and this creates a sense of scarcity. If you think about it within the context of your presentations, um, you know, how do you bring this concept of scarcity through? It's how you present such opportunities. So in a presentation, if you were thinking about how to present it, if you use language that demonstrates what you will lose out rather than what you will gain, your message becomes more powerful. I want to repeat that. If in your message you're able to say to somebody, this is what you, you, you will potentially lose more than demonstrating what the gains are, you're able to really get the attention of the people that you're speaking to. This leverages that principle of scarcity. Alongside that is also the principle of exclusivity. People love feeling um, exclusive. And so how you do this is providing access to information services or whatever else to a limited number of people. And this can create that sense of exclusivity or exclusiveness. And so all of these things, all of them combining to assist you as you become uh, somebody who's persuasive, as you're able to influence uh, without authority. Um, become a seasoned leader, you know, in your particular role. And then, of course, the fifth principle is this concept around expertise and authority. We know people defer to experts. When you're perceived as an expert in an area, I think people are more likely to defer to you, to come to you. And the reason is because, you know, experts are able to offer something of a shortcut to good decisions that would otherwise take a long time. Um, and so you come to the expert because why must you labor on the speaking thing when it's not your forte? Come to a Zoya who knows what she's talking about. She spent the time and the energy, um, you know, over a long time. Um, and so I'm going to come because you know what? Zoya offers me a shortcut. That's why we defer to experts. Build an expertise. Really become an expert in your craft because we know people defer to experts. And of course, colleagues, there's nothing wrong with sharing that expertise. So if we think about building credibility, and we spoke about this last week, 
I said, there's nothing wrong, um, you know, with building credibility where you share some of this expertise, right? So convey your expertise. Do it through background information that you share. Do it through anecdotes or stories that you share. You'll hear me from time to time, um, you know, sharing stories where I will say things like, a couple of years back, I worked with a client whose issue was ABC. This is uh, really entrenching my expertise in the space. I've been doing this work for a couple of years. I've worked with, uh, you know, a certain caliber or type of client. Make reference to that in authentic, genuine ways, certainly, but be able to reference or to bring in um, this idea that you're somebody who knows their story. You know what you're talking about. And so I always say what's important to remember here is that your expertise isn't a known quantity right? You know your expertise, others don't. And this is why it's important then to convey it when you do get a chance. Um, and again, being mindful, I'm not saying that you're going to stand up and be boastful about the things that you've done, but I am saying that it's important that we build some of that credibility around our work and expertise and showcasing that in authentic or genuine ways um, is one such way to build our influence. And of course, the final one is this concept of reciprocity. You know, uh, some mutual exchange. Um, you know, we give that which we want to receive. Um, do right by others. <laughs> um, and then others will do right by you. It's just a wonderful principle. Be kind and helpful when you have the opportunity. Uh, you will remember that last week, again, I said, uh, when we're talking about building that credibility, remember I said credibility was made up of two things. And I said the one was competence. And I've just spoken to that now around your expertise. Right. Do you know your story? Right. Are you an expert in the field? Um, can we vouch for this person's track record? And then I said alongside that was this idea of, you know, a confidence. And I said, not your confidence, but confidence others have in you. Will she deliver when she says she's going to deliver? Um, and so reciprocity speaking to this as well. So be kind and helpful when you have the opportunity. Do we get a sense that Zoya will deliver? Does she follow up on her promises? Um, does she follow up on the commitments that she makes? Can we rely on her to be helpful in a particular situation? Um, so really speaking to this concept of uh, reciprocity. So I'm going to leave it there, colleagues, because that was just for me to assist you to further entrench some of those principles that we engaged on last week as they relate to your ability to influence without authority. And saying that when we talk about influence, we're really speaking or making the distinction between influence and power to say the one is coercive. So because I occupy a particular role, because I have a particular title, um, I'm able to impose or to say this is the decision I've taken um, and I'm not going to go back on it. But when we're speaking about influence, there's more of a kind of how do we, uh, you know, and I think it was Lazol, I love the way he, he contributed to that. Let me go to what he said. He said ability to convince or to change views. Um, and that's what we're speaking about when we talk to this principle of influence. Okay, so I think most of us uh, who were there last week are all in the room. People have come in. And so I'm going to move into today's session, what we're going to cover, and we'll work together nicely on that. Okay, colleagues. So uh, today's session is really going to look at structure. So how do we structure presentations that are easy to follow, easy to remember, um, and easy to understand? Uh, one of the most important, you know, aspects of crafting the kind of content that's going to cause people to sit up and listen to you is how well they are structured. And I want to start with, um, you know, this, this little, um, uh, I don't know, infographic, if we can call it that, um, that tells us that something has changed in terms of our ability to concentrate. Um, so at some point, uh, the average attention span in 2000 was 13 seconds. So I could, you know, focus on something for an average of at least 13 seconds. Um, and then, of course, we saw that, you know, over a span of time, this, uh, you know, decreased in human beings. And I think at some point we used to say, you know, uh, we'd compare somebody to a goldfish when they had a very short attention span. So we've surpassed the goldfish, sad to say. Uh, who, you know, whose average attention span is nine seconds. Don't ask me how they measure these things. I have no idea. And we're sitting at something ridiculous, colleagues, like three to five seconds. Uh, my husband works in advertising, and he'll tell you that the demands on people who create adverts and who are in advertising has become so intense because of the fact that there are so many competing priorities for our attention that we're not able to concentrate on something for long enough periods. 
Okay, and so our own ability, um, you know, to concentrate having been impacted then says to us, when we deliver presentations, we literally have three to five seconds to make that first impression. Now, this seems like it's an exaggeration of sorts. I kid you not. Our audiences are sitting with multiple distractions. So when something interests me, I can concentrate for longer. But if you don't grab my attention from the get-go, what you're doing is you're increasing the risk of me focusing my attention or diverting my attention to something else. And I think that's what we're saying here. So how do we do the work of grabbing attention from the get-go, mindful that this is the challenge uh, that we have? So many distractions coming at us. And of course, the favorite one being this one. I always reference this thing when I teach and I say that this is like itokolosh. Credo Motua said, uh, many years ago, he made the prediction that all of us would have a tokolosh, and this tokolosh would be in every aspect of our lives um, and contribute to the distraction or to being perpetually distracted. Okay, and so it seeks to reason then that we've got to be very careful in terms of how we structure. So I want to introduce it with this concept. This is a, a widely known concept, this concept of the hamburger method. But I really want to dissect it, and I'm going to change the way that you look at your hamburgers and how you eat uh, your hamburgers. Uh, we know that, you know, a, a basic presentation has got the three parts. So you can see there that appetizing introduction, the meaty body, that reinforcing conclusion. I'm going to break it down a little bit and maybe share content you may have heard before. But I really want this to land and to be entrenched in your mind because I've given you the accompanying graphic and bit by bit we're now going to unpack uh, what's happening uh, in this burger so if you look at that juicy hamburger in front of you for the most part what we're saying is that you know the introduction is likened to that top bun okay and i want you to notice the top bun um, and maybe just to make it a little bit engaging you know if you're looking at that top bun what is striking what's immediately striking about that top bun uh, some contributions coming through the chat. Let me read that. It's shiny. It looks fresh. The golden texture of the bun is striking, visually appealing, well-rounded, put together. So I want you to zoom in on the top bun specifically. Okay. So somebody says it's golden. Uh, Mutari says, I see the seeds on top. Okay. Looks visually appealing, golden and fresh. Absolutely. So if we describe the top bun as how you introduce your topics, colleagues, that's exactly what we're saying. And it's intended that way to make it appetizing. That's the word. It's to whet your appetite. And when you are delivering presentations, the intent in order to be able to grab the attention of the people from the get-go is to make sure that you whet their appetite. That's the most important thing. Whet their appetite. Grab their attention from the get-go. And so powerful introductions do a couple of things. But the most important thing the powerful introduction will do is to get your audience's investment in your presentation. Remember I said people will decide in the first few seconds if they're in it or not. And in fact, we always make the joke in speaking circles that people will fall asleep from beginning to right before you say, as I conclude. And then people wake up and go, let me just catch the end bit so I seem like I was in the presentation. Okay. And so let's talk about examples of great presentations. We say they're energetic, right? If you come in there and you are tired, we're going to be tired with you. Have an energetic presentation. Um, you can ask a stimulating question, right? Um, think about a really great question. You know, do you want to be a great leader? Or why should anyone be led by you? Powerful questions, right? What is the power of a dream? Okay, so ask really great questions. And of course, um, these will be relevant to, or, or these will be uh, contextual to whatever your presentation is on. If you're working in corporate, ooh, corporate presentations. God bless corporate, corporate presentations. Um, there's a tendency to think that it is unprofessional, um, you know, to be engaging or to be, or to be asking questions or to heighten up a little bit um, of that drama, for lack of a better word, in corporate presentations. It's unprofessional. Well, what you're doing, colleagues, is you're sending people to sleep. And I said last week, audiences will forgive you everything but boring presentations. <laughs> uh, we are just like, yo, tell me about it. 
Okay, and so really think through, even with these corporate presentations around ideas to say, how do we start presentations? And we'll unpack that. We'll have conversations to say, you know, what are the different ways in which you can start your presentations to make them meaningful? I say you want to share a startling or interesting fact. What have you found that's interesting in your information as you were putting this content together? What is interesting that you could then use to, you know, to start your presentation? Did you know? Or I discovered this, or I came across an interesting fact and people kind of sit up and go, sure, I didn't realize that. Use pause. There's power in using pause. I remember the story of once having to present in, in front of a group of, I think, 400 plus people in 2012 in Durban. Um, and I remember being called up to the platform. And I'll be honest with you, I hadn't done thorough preparation for this. Um, this was before I became wise. <laughs> Um, and didn't rely only on the talent uh, to get these things done. And I will never forget, the, you know, the MC said, you know, Zoya Babuto, blah, 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 called me up and announced the title of the presentation. I went up to the platform um, and I looked out at this audience of, I think, you know, 400 plus people and I hit a complete blank. I went completely blank. I froze. I forgot everything in front of those people. But thank God. Um, you know, that we built a little bit of the skill because I just held that pause for very long. And afterwards, you know, the people came to me and said, yo, that's that dramatic pause at the beginning of your presentation was powerful. Um, and I chuckled to myself because uh, I, I'd, I'd completely blanked out, but they had no idea. So, you know, there's power in pausing, but using it effectively as well. Um, and then we can do something unexpected or different. Um, in 2015, I had the opportunity to travel um, to the world champs of public speaking and the gentleman who eventually won the competition um, lit a cigarette on stage and everybody was startled. That conservative Toastmasters audience um, looked at this man and we thought, yo, what's coming next? And then he looked at us and he said, what? And the audience burst into laughter. So what are some of the things that we can do that are unexpected or different? Of course, mindful of your context. So I want you to think about a couple of the things you've done before or a couple of very interesting things you've seen. And I think let's just engage a little bit again using the chat function on what have you seen that was different in a corporate context? Uh, you know, what have you seen that really kind of grabbed your attention and you thought, yo, this is brave, but it actually has worked. Um, and maybe just share those on the chat functions. So Faith saying and the audience have gotten used to not being engaged. If you ask a question, they become shocked. It's harder. Absolutely. Corporate audiences have become used to presentations that are dull and mundane and boring, that when you do engage them, they don't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> and so here's an opportunity, I think, for us to change things. But let's hear from you. What are some of the things that you've seen? What are the things that you've done, maybe? Um, and let's share those uh, in your own presentations. What are you doing to whet the appetite of those people who are sitting in your session or attending um, your presentations? What have you tried? And it was an absolute flop. <laughs> it didn't work. Somebody said, go and you know, try something different. You tried it and it absolutely bombed out. Okay, so Mutari says, um, interesting video clip before starting. Absolutely, you know, those work very powerful as well. Um, but it's got to be interesting, right? It's got to be interesting. And it's got to connect to the content that you're going to share. And this is a huge point to make. Don't just play it because it was funny for you when you watched it last night as you were having supper. Um, and you think, oh, you know, this was just funny. Make sure that it does have some kind of linkage to the presentation that you're going to share. Absolutely agree. So some people play videos uh, before they start. Okay, so I don't know, uh, you're, not, you're not sharing your contributions. I'm not sure if it's because we don't. I've seen pastors uh, do live demonstrations during their sermons, quite attention grabbing. I wish I could hear um, Melissa, someone once pretended to have PowerPoint share issues before their presentation. Clever. Um, and of course, you know, hoping that that was linked somehow to the presentation. So there's an opportunity, colleagues, for us to really be creative. Um, this is the one place where you can be creative and really kind of just move beyond, I think, what, uh, you know, the limitations of what we say, um, you know, uh, a corporate presentation should look like. Yeah, let's hear from you, Melissa. I'm curious about uh, what you what you share? Hello. Hello, hi everyone. Oh yeah. Um. So there's a pastor. Um. Pastor 
Mike Todd, if you can go on Instagram, I think he was talking about the power of um, persistence and he had water and uh, sand that he was he put in this uh, container and he put like stones and stuff like that. So I can't really, really remember the context, but I know that I, I, I watched it long time ago, but I remember it to this day because it was something quite very interesting how he put this, the, the, the bigger stone um, at the bottom of the, of the container to fill it up. And then he put, basically he was illustrating how you, if you want to achieve something, you can always find the time because in all the chaos in your life and the thing and the things that you do, uh, there's always spaces that you do not see. But if you actually take even water and pour it through, you can still fill up your life, something like that. So that was very interesting for me. And so thank you so much, Melissa. So this is where we can use a prop, right? So you can use props even. Um, and of course, again, all what, what is important, colleagues, is that it must just connect to the message that you're going to share. Um, I am actually, I'm aware of what you're speaking to now that I think about it, where they kind of fill the water, there's stones, there's sand, there's all sorts of things. Um, so very powerful as well to bring in like a prop um, and then to use that prop in ways that are effective. Okay, let me keep it moving. Um, where we come to the, you know, the body of the presentation. So here what we're seeing is that meaty filling. Um, you know, we might call this a cheeseburger because we see some cheese or cheese and bacon burger because, uh, you know, what's obvious or what, you know, we can see is that cheese um, and <laughs> say too many. Oh, now I'm curious. I'll come to you shortly. Uh, is the cheese and, and the bacon. So it's a cheese and bacon burger, we might call it. Um, so if we're talking about, you know, that part, the body of the presentation, uh, you know, we say, you know, the, the, the body is that meaty filling, okay? And so in this burger, we're seeing the patty, we're seeing some cheese, some lettuce, tomato, etc., cetera, uh, and bacon. So we'll call it a cheese and bacon burger. Now, this is, this is an important part. You can see what is inside that burger, the obvious being the patty followed by all the other, um, you know, things that have been added. We have to be careful, colleagues, in our presentations to not do that thing that I see many of us do, which is to overload our presentations, okay? And so when we overload the presentation, we're going to put mushrooms in there. We're going to put gherkins in there. We're going to put avocado in there. We're going to put so many different things. And when we look at it, we're not sure what to call it anymore, right? They went and invented the word Dagwood. And they said, okay, it's a Dagwood burger then if it has everything, right? It's got eggs. It's got all of these things. In presentations, the more you put into that hamburger, the more you disconnect with your audiences because there's too much filling. I can't, I can't remember what's in there. And so we say, please try to limit it to three or four main ingredients. The main ingredients here outside of the standard lettuce and tomato, you know, are the patty, the meat itself, are the cheese, are the bacon, and then you've got your stock standard lettuce and tomato. And so you've got to be very careful about what you fill this hamburger with. If you fill that hamburger with everything under the sun, it might give me indigestion. We say it translates into information overload for the brain. Be careful of this. And so the recommendation I make here is to say, you know, have three major points, four, you know, when we're stretching it, and then group everything else under those into three sub points. And then further group that if you need to into more sub points. But don't have more than three central ideas. Otherwise, you start to disconnect with the audience. The brain goes, you're giving me too much work to do. If we understood that our brains are designed first and foremost, or designed rather, are designed first and foremost for our survival, we'd be very kind to the information that we're giving to people. If your brain is wired to keep you alive, it's constantly scanning the environment, saying I'm scanning the environment for things that could threaten Zoya's livelihood. That could threaten Zoya's survival. We're trying to keep Zoya alive here. Now you want to give me a burger that has a million ingredients and I must remember that? Come on. And so make it easy for people to remember by ensuring that you don't have so many points 
in your presentations, in the body of your presentation. High level, these are the three major areas I'm going to look at and then segment that further to say under this particular area, we're going to explore ABC. This is incredibly powerful and assist in terms of being able to remember what a person covered in their presentation. Okay, and then of course, I'm going to come to that final one uh, you know, where we say uh, we're looking at that bottom burger, and maybe to ask you again, just to step in via the chat function, when you look at that bottom burger, what is the work of that bottom burger? What is it doing? Okay, and so what it does is it's offering support, right? It holds everything together. I have seen many corporate presentations, and in fact, presentations in general, where people don't conclude their presentations. The experience for members of your audience colleagues is that they felt like they're sitting with this burger that is not held together. It's messy. It's all over the place. Now I must hold my patty and my cheese and everything on my hands because there's no base that holds everything together. Sometimes you will pick up that you're rushed in terms of time and you will compromise the one thing that actually assists to hold and to support everything. Do not forego your conclusion, even if you wrap it up very quickly but make sure that you give that support because it translates to the person who's listening as everything feels like it's nicely packaged it was held together from beginning to end okay so it's the base that holds everything together absolutely um, agreed with the contributions how many people leave us feeling like their presentations are all over the place because oops somebody said yo your time is up and i just said oh okay thanks and i went to sit down don't do that. Find a way to come to a natural close. High level, say these are the areas I covered. And so um, thank you so much. It's been wonderful, blah, 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 blah. But close your presentation. Brief summary. Make sure that you do uh, conclude your presentations. And then, of course, I say, you know, now we're looking at this hamburger. And we talk about something called a call to action. So this is where we're saying, you know, uh, we're not just going to stare at this hamburger. What must we do with this burger? If I came and I said to you, here's a wonderful burger for you. Are you just going to stare at it or are you going to eat the burger? The call to action is to say, you know, Yanda, here's your wonderful burger. Fred, enjoy your burger. Eat your burger. That's the call to action. It says to your audience, this is the time for you to take this information and I want you to apply it in this way. I've shared this presentation with you because I want you to invest in my product. And so at the end of it, I say, you know, eat your burger is equivalent to saying, this is what you must do with the information that I've presented to you. Critical part. And be very specific. I'm not just going to hand this burger to you and say, eh, be imaginative. You know, think about what you could do with it. I I'm saying to you, take this burger and eat it. And so similarly, colleagues, be very clear about what the ask is, what the expectation is. Articulate what you want people to do with the information that you've provided. Incredibly powerful. Go as far as to provide. If you want people to call you back, call me back or let's revisit. I'm keen for us to have a conversation about this in the next week. I look forward to receiving confirmation from you. Uh, over the next couple of days. Be very clear about what the ask is. Otherwise, it becomes a gray area and I'm left with the hamburger I don't know what to do with, okay? So very important part there. Lizzie says, it's so easy to forget to conclude when time is not on your side or when there are technical glitches. Find a way around it, Lizzie. Don't give people this half put together burger that's spilling all over the place. Rather risk going over time by a few minutes then for you to leave people with the sense that they, that they now need to do the work of putting it all together. And so here we're saying, you know, uh, summarize your, 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 your points powerfully, issue that call to action, uh, challenge your, your, your audiences, leave a lasting impression. Um, there's an opportunity there for you as well as you conclude. Okay. So uh, what we have agreed is that we're going to share the presentation. So what I've included, and I always say I like it that we do a little bit of homework because I can't cover everything in these sessions. So there's a wonderful uh, talk. Uh, and this is the talk I was referencing earlier where I said uh, he starts with a cigarette 
um, really engages the audience. And I've left some questions there. So we'll share this presentation with you. And the ask is that you just go through or watch this talk and really just kind of, you know, what comes up for you? What is he doing um, in this presentation that's appealing from a structure point of view? So don't just listen to the message because the message is powerful. But I want you to pay attention to how he incorporates structure. How does he, you know, put together a beautifully structured five to seven minutes? Powerful message. Five to seven minutes is all he used, and that's because he paid careful attention to structure. So now what I want to do is to introduce you to this concept called the Minto Pyramid Principle. And this is the one where I said, you know, this is the, this is the one I love to use for corporate audiences. Um, and it's derived from the work of a former McKinsey consultant. Her name was Barbara Minto. Um, and this is where the, you know, this model gets its, uh, you know, its name from. And really what, what, what we're talking about here um, in this mental pyramid principle is that your thinking is going to be easy for a reader to grasp or for a listener to grasp if you present the ideas organized as a pyramid under a single point. So if you appreciate, look at the picture there. The pyramid structure starts with one at the top and then it cascades and builds as the pyramid gets greater. And so it, 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 it really does focus on kind of you crystallizing your thinking before you do the process of putting, um, you know, your slides together or putting your presentation together. For me, I think the strength of this pyramid principle is that it really assists to crystallize the main idea. So remember, we talked about that three to five second um, attention span. Many of you are presenting to executives who probably don't have time or to teams who don't have time. Um, the COVID pandemic has certainly presented us with a very strange reality. Everybody just seems to be in some kind of rush. So how do we crystallize that main idea and present that from the get-go? This is what this mental pyramid principle is going to assist us with. So I want us to explore how it works by doing, uh, you know, a fun activity. Okay, here we go. So this is all the stuff I've said. Okay, so I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. And here I'm going to ask people to unmute and all sorts of things. Let's play together. I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to remember nine things, okay? And I'm going to give you 10 seconds to remember that, okay? And then I'm going to ask you if you remember these things. So let's come to, I just quickly want to come to my clock. Okay, timer, 10 seconds. So 10 seconds starts now. Your 10 seconds is up, and I'm going to invite you into plenary and to ask you the question, uh, you know, who can give me all of those nine things? Um, somebody who says, I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, I remember all of those nine things. Let's go. Melissa, over to you. I, I expect I expect 100% because you've got more time here. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm planning on to cheat, so, okay. Um, bread, shampoo, apple. Uh, grapefruit, um, soup, um, cheese. Oh my God, I had them. Okay, I'm only at 50%. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Somebody else can try. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for trying. Let's invite one more person to try. Give it a shot. Nine, only nine, and you had more time. Apple, shampoo, banana, bacon, salt. Red conditioner, grapefruit, eight. I missed the nine one. <laughs> Almost there. I was itching for you to get it right. <laughs> Is there one person who says, I think I've got all nine? Can I try? <laughs> try. Go. <laughs> um, bread, shampoo, yes. mm -hmm. apple. Mm -hmm. Soup, conditioner, bagel, mm -hmm. banana, grapefruit. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> last one. I'm going to help you. It's part of the breads. It's part of the breads. It's part of the breads. Butter. Yeah. yeah. No. Is it butter? No. 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 <laughs> Okay, so 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 I'm going to blame Melissa for confusing you the soup direction because it was soap, not soup, and Ita King. So Ita King, it looks like you are you are a winner. Very well done to you. But what was missing was donut. 
So, so the point of this exercise uh, was not to have you remember the list because it's not easy to remember them. So following from what I said earlier, when you give us too much information, the brain will just, you know, select what it wants to remember. Okay. But what we're going to do using this mental pyramid principle is really structure and synthesize our ideas. Okay. And we're going to return this to, to, to the shopping example in order to be able to understand how we do this. Okay. So the first part is, you know, we're going to synthesize the information. Okay. And so uh, this is structuring and synthesizing. So if you think about those things that were on our list, those nine things, they were actually broken down into categories. Can you see I've done the three things? So we started with, let's start with the first category. We had apple, grapefruit, and banana. These are all fruits. Okay. So we're going to start by grouping into, we're going to start the work of, of, of synthesizing by putting them into like groups. And the first like group is fruit. So apple, grapefruit, banana. The second one is breads, bread, bagel, donut. And of course, the third one is, uh, you know, uh, what you call them, toiletries. So shampoo, conditioner, and soap. So we've got fruit, bread or bakery, and toiletries. That's the first thing you do. Sometimes we have so many ideas and I have no idea where to start. Write down all of those ideas and then say, you know, how can I cluster them into like groups uh, just to assist your own thinking process as well? And so we clustered them into like groups. And then we said, you know, we're, we, we've got those, we've got those, uh, you know, group names of sorting, uh, fruit, bakery, and uh, toiletries, okay? Now, once this step is completed, we're going to start to crystallize into kind of what is the main idea. And of course, uh, for us in the main idea here is that we have a shopping list, okay? So this is you as you're sitting with all of these ideas, You've been given a presentation or you're thinking about a presentation you need to work on. This is why I say that this does require a little bit of time. This assists you in terms of that planning stage where you're saying, okay, a lot of ideas, jot them down, put them down, and then start to do the work of clustering and sorting so you can arrive at, you know, let me crystallize what the main idea is, okay? So very simple example here. Um, I appreciate that this is not the level of complexity some of you are dealing with in terms of some of the content that you're presenting. So what we did is we did the bottoms up where we were synthesizing the information, okay? So now what we're going to look at is how you then communicate the information. So remember at the beginning of this, I said that the mental pyramid principle, the strength of this principle lies in the fact that you start with the main idea. And then you're going to say, this is the motivation for how I got here. The reason I'm saying, and I'm going to go back to this, the reason I'm saying that this is the shopping list, the main idea is the shopping list. Then I'm going to say how I got to shopping list is because there's a couple of things I need in the fruit section, the bakery section, the toiletries. Now I'm going to further unpack it. In the fruit section, I'm specifically going to look at apples, grapefruit, and banana. In the bakery section, I'm going to look at bread, bagel, and donut. Now it's going to be easy to process and to remember for the other person. But we're going to communicate it starting with the central idea. And in this example, the central idea is shopping list, okay? And so we then communicate the ideas top down. And we're going to communicate them persuasively. Why? Because we can substantiate how we got there in the first place, okay? So main idea, I am going to the supermarket to get some fruit, bakery items, and toilets, um, versus to say to people, uh, you know, remember these nine things. They're not going to remember these nine things, okay? And so that's how we want to communicate, okay? So what I want to say, colleagues, um, is that we want to remember a couple of things, okay? And the things that are important to remember are that, you know, in the different groups, the ideas must always be logically ordered, okay? So you've got, uh, you know, your governing thought, then you've got argument one, argument two, argument three. And then under each of the arguments, you've got the ideas that support that particular argument. And so this is what I talk about when I say do logical ordering. And this is assisting in terms of your own thinking as well. Think about it. If your ideas are organized in this way, you're clear in terms of your own thinking process. And so you're able to then communicate that effectively. If we look at the different levels of the pyramid itself, we're saying 
that the the you know the, the the thoughts or the thinking or the ideas at any level of the pyramid must be a summary of the ideas grouped below them so if we're looking at governing thought the ideas under governing thought so so governing thought is a summary of the ideas argument 1 argument 2 argument 3 that are grouped below them if you look at the arguments all of the ideas under those so the argument is all of these three ideas and the arguments. I'm busy pointing to my, uh, to, my, to my PowerPoint presentation here. So ideas at any level on this pyramid must always be a summary of the ideas that sit below them or that are grouped below them, okay? So each level below supports each level above. That's an easier way for me to communicate that. Each level below supports each level above. So from the bottom, that evidence supports the argument. So the evidence at the bottom supports the argument. The argument supports the governing thought. Does that make sense? And of course, we're saying that in each group as well, you know, we must always have the same kind of idea. So I cannot have in the fruit basket, I cannot have a bagel in the fruit basket, neither can I have a donut in toiletries. And so we need to be really clear, um, you know, that this is how we're using this to communicate. And these are the three rules I've just spoken to here in terms of what we must observe. And it connects to what we've just spoken to um, looking at this graphic. Colleagues, are there any thoughts that come to mind as you're looking at this, as you're thinking through this, this particular one? Uh, Faith says, got to go. Thanks, Zoya and colleagues. Please share your screen. And aha moment for me, this mental pyramid principle. Um, colleagues, I want to engage you. So as we wrap it up, I just want to engage you um, on your own experiences. Let's talk about it because the mental pyramid principle is incredibly powerful. Um, and I want to almost challenge you to go back and to say, how can I use it? Because part of the power of learning how to use the tool is going to be through practicing how to use it. And then coming back here with some of your questions, if there are any questions or reaching out to me um, to assist you as you apply some of this. Are there any questions? Is there anything that's coming up for you? Are there presentations that you're thinking of or thinking through um, already as it relates to this? Okay, um, I've got a question. So how do you determine what's important? Because you were saying, uh, what do you start with? Chronological order. So if you're in a room full of different people from different businesses, um, so what would be important? So how would you structure that? Because I think that's quite difficult because what's important to a marketer is not as important as someone who's in finance or ops, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a powerful question. And part of uh, you know, how we responded to that question, and, and this is going to sound terrible, Setu, is we looked at it in previous sessions and we said you've got to be very clear about what the intent of your presentation is because that's going to contribute to the route that you then take. And so we unpacked a little bit this idea of are you standing up to inform or to persuade them, to sell to them? Um, you know, are you standing up to, uh, to persuade them? Are you standing up to entertain them? Are you standing up to inspire them? So being clear from the get-go what it is that the intent of this presentation is. And then, of course, saying, you know, if I've got so many different people in the room, um, you know, uh, how, how, do I, how, do I, how do I speak to them relative to what their needs are? So when we unpacked this concept of persuasion, we said, you need to do the work of understanding who your audience is. So on the one hand, I know who my audience is. I'm sorry, I know what the intent is. I know what my purpose is. But I want to align that to the needs of my audience, right? What is the information this audience needs? If I'm here to provide information to a group of people, what is the information that's going to be relevant to a group of marketers? What's the information that's going to be relevant to a group of, um, I forgot uh, what else you said, but the different people who then make up that room. But it's got to be reinforced by what you're intending to achieve in the first place. What's the intent? Why are you standing up to speak in the first place? I think is the question uh, that we responded to in some of the previous sessions. So uh, that's a starting point, Setu. And then when we bring it here to structure, by then you have a clear sense. You've done the research on who your audience is. You're clear about what you're wanting to achieve. Now you come together, you put it together and you say, okay, how, what are the different ways in which I can approach this? And I'm hoping that that's useful. So you said, see, the objective of the meeting, absolutely. What do I want to achieve? Who's sitting in my audience? How do I, mindful of who's in my audience, uh, frame for common ground, 
clear with a clarity around what it is that we're trying to achieve. And so there's some background work is the point, I think that happens ahead of the process where you're now sitting doing the structuring. Um, there's some considerations that you would have given to the presentation prior to this point where you're now sitting and you're doing the work of organizing the presentation. And so I hope that that's been helpful. And so too happy to engage you um, on some of the content that we then covered before, if that's going to be useful to you. Um, really to assist you with a clear sense of why am I standing up to present in the first place and then understanding who sits in that audience. Um, if there's nobody else with questions, then I think I will start to wrap it up. Um, you know, to say, colleagues, that for the most part, I continue to reiterate the importance of don't stand up um, without a clear sense of why you're standing up to speak for the sake of. If you've been asked to deliver a presentation, I think for me it's a sacred opportunity for you to think about how you can use this strategically to build your influence, um, strategically to contribute to the impact that you're wanting to make. And structuring presentations that are easy to remember, um, that are easy to understand, that are memorable, um, can really assist to move you in the right direction. So I said today, really consider a couple of things. Think about that wonderful hamburger analogy. Think about how you can really introduce your topics in ways that are memorable, engaging from the get-go because our attention span, you know, is, is so compromised. Um, think through, uh, you know, the content you want to bring into, your, in, in, into the body of what you're sharing. Be careful of information overload. It becomes too much for us. Um, and then, of course, uh, finally to say, think about what you're saying I must do with the information you've presented. And then use that mental pyramid principle because that's going to be impactful in terms of ensuring that you get, you crystallize what the central idea is and you communicate from that point. Um, and then as you build your argument, you then substantiate to say, this is how I got um, to this place. You will appreciate that uh, we have gone past our time. So I am going to thank you for your contributions. Thank you for showing up. The reminder that this webinar format where we only concentrate um, you know, on a particular topic for an hour is but just an inkling into the bigger Be Heard program that we do, uh, where we actually delve into these topics a little bit more. But thank you so much for coming through. Do reach out if you're saying, look, I want to build on understanding and I want to increase my understanding and I'd like to explore some of the concepts we're touching on here a little bit further. Uh, but thank you so much, everybody. And we'll see you same time uh, next week. We will be sharing the presentation with you. We also will be sharing uh, this recording with you to enable you to be able to go back uh, and use this as a resource. But we'll see you next week. Thank you. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.